0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Right now, this is on the, not the eve, the day of uh, that holiest of occasions in the United States of America, the National Football League draft. Yes, it is this event of such enormous importance that it is honestly focused on, oh, I don't know, about uh, 365 days of the year, of the 360-day year. And there is worship. And obeisance at the shrine of the NFL. The National Football League, which to this day enjoys this remarkable nonprofit status. Even though it is among the most profitable of enterprises. And each NFL team valued at billions of dollars and multitudes of players that receive not just multimillions annually but whose net worth is mega millions and yet there are those who insist that they are enslaved i would hasten to add those who have made those comments I'm only aware of being of one racial segment of this nation. But here we are on this most hallowed of days, which frankly makes a damning indictment of this nation as a whole even though there are many players within the NFL who, apart from their misbehaviors and hijinks and uh, rudeness, crudeness, vulgarity, dirty play, and what have you, like to sling around uh, mention of their religiosity. It's just one of those remarkable things. But, and coaches and college coaches who have engaged in, who have committed grievous wrongs, who have covered up for males who have committed rape and havoc and threatenings of violence towards various girls and have committed such and cover up for them and enable them and empower them and make it possible for them to continue their so-called college careers. College careers. <laughs> and they speak of their football careers. They speak of their college years, interestingly enough, revealingly enough. Oh, but they are student-athletes. But interestingly enough, they have college careers as athletes, which culminates with the NFL draft. Now, there are a great many college athletes limiting this to football, who are never drafted, including players who have excelled in college, but who are deemed to be too small, too slow, too weak, you know, too short, too short-armed, too small-handed, too slow a foot, can't jump high enough, can't jump far enough, can't run fast enough are not quick enough, cannot lift enough weight, and and the list just goes on and on and on. And so even though they may have excelled in college at football, they may have accomplished outstanding success, they may not be drafted at all, whereas others who are deemed as of much greater value because of their height, their length, their strength, their hand size, and other remarkable (laughs) measures of them, are selected and selected even in the first round of the draft and made instant multimillionaires For the first year, but with contracts which will make them mega-millionaires by the time they rework their contract or they move on to their second contract. And many of these players, as you look at it year after year, have underperformed in college have been noteworthy for their misbehavior, for their laziness, for all these other things, and yet they can end up being drafted as high as the first round. It's remarkable. It's something that goes back, I think, to when Tom Landry was in charge of the Dallas Cowboys, and he had such focus and fascination on the bigger stronger, faster view of players as compared to what they had done, what they had done, what they had accomplished with what they had in high school and in college. And that continues to this day. But I digress. (laughs) Here we have the NFL. With the commissioner, who wasn't even content with $40 million a year, who insisted then, re, uh, not reworking his contract, I don't believe, but when his contract was due to be renewed, upped that to supposed to be $50 million plus unlimited use of NFL Jets for his personal use, for his personal use, and all other manner of goodies. Uh, housing and what have you this fellow who is a consummate politician an uber leftist who has promoted the sodomite agenda throughout the nfl and promoted the black power agenda and a few other outstanding things like that and has slapped wrists with regard to violence against women but This NFL that is so integrated into society, (laughs) which has come to stand for things so totally different from what professional football did 50 years ago, and not to the better, not to the betterment of society. But sportscasters and commentators and experts. It used to be that people coming from outside of the United States to the United States of America could learn English, could become fluent native speakers, you could say, of English. This goes back a long way, but could do so by listening to the radio, listening, yes, first and foremost, to newscasts, which at that point in time had a very high threshold with regard to grammar. That all changed some decades ago. But that was seen throughout communications. And so even listening to sports casting. The vernacular, the grammar, the content was significantly higher than it has devolved to at this point in time. Well, commentators and so-called experts here for now, any number of years, have been promoting the sodomite agenda and the black power agenda And I find it just a trifle interesting to hear various different ones who I shall not mention the names of. But in essence, condemning one young man who is expected to go very high in the draft indeed, somewhere in the top 10, likely in the top half dozen, possibly number one, but who back when he was... 15 years of age, 16 years of age, not during his time in college, but back in high school when he was 15 and 16 years of age, tweeted, yes, used that wonderful social media outlet that our president is so fond of, tweeted things that are decried as being offensive and worthy of condemnation. A boy, a teenage boy, 15, 16 years of age, I find it fascinating that he is being lambasted, greatly criticized, scathingly over this, even though he has apologized for it that he was young and dumb when he communicated these things. I find it fascinating, given that there are commentators, expert analysts and such here in the sports universe, who are in their 40s, in their late 30s, their 40s, their late 40s, and who gloat about the fact that they use the so-called N-word many times a day. But you see, they're able to do that because they are men of color. (laughs) You know that euphemism, right? They are men of color, whatever that means. What color is that? Well, again, it's one of those lies that in this age of communications... It was an age of communications, now it's an age of miscommunication. It's an age of lies and the age of the machines. But they aren't even criticized for that, and instead they can boast about it that they use what is referred to as the N word all the time with the boys, you know, in the clubhouses, in the locker rooms with their guys, with their people. Their people not referring to race, but their circle of people. And there's no repercussion for that. One player, I believe he is still with Philadelphia Eagles, even though I didn't follow it, who was a star receiver with the University of Florida back when Tim Tebow was the quarterback there, Riley Cooper, in one incident, one solitary incident in which he was drunk and he was at some concert, used that word one time, one time on one incident some years ago. And to this day, is still reviled for having done so, while he was drunk. Okay, and while he's one of the guys that has heard these others slinging this word around all the time, routinely, daily, many times a day. We live in such perverse, strange, vile, lewd. Profane times, deceitful times, dishonest, dishonorable times. And I hope that this latest brouhaha will not detrimentally affect this one young man, this young quarterback who is in this year's NFL draft. I don't think it will. I think that sounder, not just minds, but spirits will prevail. But the top 1%, the top 1% in this nation are supposedly, you know, according to the former president and so forth, supposedly white people. Older white people. You know, the Donald Trumps, right? And, of course, they're all Republicans and conservatives, right? They're not the Bill Clintons, the Hillary Rodham Clintons, the Joe Bidens, Charles Schumers, Nancy Pelosi's, Dianne Feinstein's. <laughs> Heavens, no. And they certainly, among the whites, and they certainly are not The multitudes of black professional athletes, current professional athletes, and those who have played professional sports during the decades of the enormously inflated salaries. And they certainly are not the A-list actors and actresses, who all call themselves actors, you know. No, certainly not. So many of whom, most of whom are white. Uh, they're not included because they're left. You know, it's, it's only conservative or Christian, Republican, older white people that qualify for the top 1%, interestingly enough, in this nation. Last program, I made mention of something that I'm going to refer to again here quickly. And I said that there was an article that I had seen and it was about that the Democrats who were considered to be the front runners to be presidential candidates in this next go around for 2020, that they had lined up, they had a red line test here for Trump, a line in the sand That if he fired Robert Mueller, that would constitute grounds for impeachment. They would push for impeachment. What I found so curious about this listing of names was that the very first one was Junior Senator Kamala Harris of California. In her first term. Kamala, who had been attorney general there, who's extreme leftist, woman of color. (laughs) I found it fascinating that her name got the top press. But you see, we... And you might say, well, that's just an anomaly. But no, no, no. This is indicative. This is how things are done. We are... Provided with our choice of the worst there are to be our leaders. They are foreordained for us by the actual, not just 1%, but 0.0001% who are behind the screens, behind the curtains, and who make those decisions for us. They are socialist to the core, but that's communist, fascist, anti-Christian, Satanists. They make the decisions for us as far as who will be promoted for highest office, who will be available for us to choose from here in our so-called democracy, our laughable democracy in the United States of America. And dear Kamala is being puffed, is being promoted, shockingly enough. She who took the place vacated by Barbara Boxer. I mentioned last week about Wendy Vitter and wife of former, Republican Senator David Vitter. And she's currently been nominated for a seat on the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana. And she's being vilified and attacked and what have you, attacked verbally, attacked in print. And there's a great deal of machinations to prevent her being confirmed. But in her confirmation hearings... She felt it was necessary to emphasize that if she were confirmed, she would set aside her personal, religious, or political views and she would be bound by Supreme Court precedent. That is, and the end quote. So it was, quote, end quote. She would be hogtied and enslaved by current vile, lewd, profane, perverse Supreme Court precedents, not by the Constitution of the United States of America. Here is this conservative woman who is Catholic, Roman Catholic. She is currently general counsel. For the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of New Orleans. And she felt so pressured that she had to state that she would set aside her personal views, beliefs, convictions, her religious views, beliefs, convictions, and her political views, beliefs, convictions, and be absolutely bound by Supreme Court precedent. Fascinating, because there is an army, an absolute army, of district court judges across this nation who continually war against the Constitution and any Supreme Court precedents that are on the right side, the true side, with regard to the Constitution. But she'll be bound by the worst of the worst precedents that there are. The leftists, whether they say they're going to do this or say they're going to do that or whatever, it's irrelevant because they are not bound by anything. They will follow the agenda that they truly are wedded to. So in that sense, you could say, yes, they are bound, but they are bound by Satan. They are bound by these movers and shakers, these world leaders who have been and continue to be hell-bent on the destruction, not just of the United States of America, but of Western society, of former Christendom. And they follow in the footsteps of those who paved the way for them, who were hell-bent on destroying Christianity and on enslaving this world. So this poor woman, intelligent, knowledgeable, talented, accomplished, but spiritually blind. And I'm going to offend some people here. If you are in the Roman Catholic Church, you are spiritually blind. Because Roman Catholic dogma is false and fraudulent, but, and diametrically contrary to the truth of God. But on this program... After all is said and done, I won't go into that. I will on other programs, but not in this program. Not in this news talk-ish program. Public affairs program. But, and I'm Brad Thomas, and whatever's right about this program, true, accurate, praiseworthy, useful, is thanks to God Almighty and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong about it, lacking, failing, is due to me, Brad Thomas. So, but she is spiritually blind, and she is intimidated and cowed into allowing herself to be so compromised, even before being confirmed. So... We can expect her to be something less than outstanding if she is confirmed. We are just bare weeks away now, less than three weeks away from the 70th anniversary of the independence of the modern state of Israel. which officially began on May fourteenth, nineteen forty eight. Remarkably enough, a creation you might say of the United Nations. Remarkable, I say, because the United Nations is so anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-truth, and anti-Israel that it just it is remarkable to me that the UN had a hand in this and the creation of the Modern state of Israel. But you see, those behind the screens, those in charge, were not concerned. It was a political maneuver, a gambit for which there was no danger whatsoever. There was no danger that Israel would survive. As soon as, and I mean immediately upon announcement, broadcast that Israel would be a free, independent nation, all Islamist, Islamic states joined together to overthrow and annihilate Israel and the Jews. It was in the works well before then. And they worked hand in hand with Hitler, dear old Adolf Hitler, and his bloody Third Reich to attempt to annihilate the Jews and annihilate Christians. But, Here, leading up to the announcement of the independence of the state, the modern state of Israel, all their preparations were made. And the dear British, who are so peace-loving, so wonderful, so truthful and honorable and all of that... They removed all of their military weaponry and left the Jews defenseless. It should have been an absolute, total massacre of the Jews. It was intended to be. It was intended to be not only by the Islamists, by the Islamic powers, forces... That surrounded Israel. Syria, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Lebanon, and within the country of Israel. But it was also intended to be a massacre by those who okayed the formation of the independent state of Israel. They could, on the one hand, show how free of bias and prejudice they were, how open-minded they were, how generous and charitable they were, while they put in motion this plan that was guaranteed to annihilate the last vestiges of jewelry on this earth. Except for those who were in their group, the Dr. Strange Loves and so forth. Miraculously, miraculously, Israel and the Jews were not eliminated, not annihilated, not utterly, totally massacred. It was thanks to God, and remarkable in a number of ways, but including this, that the Jews were not saved people. They were not worshipers of Jesus Christ. But here we are, just days away, just less than three weeks away from the 70th anniversary. And the same powers that have lusted for the destruction, the annihilation, the massacre of the Jews, continue to lust to accomplish that end. And Israel, the leaders of Israel, the people of Israel, by and large, for the most part, they continue to imagine that if they appease their bloodthirsty enemies, that if they continue to give back territory fought and won at cost of such great bloodshed of theirs, at such great loss, that then they will be able to live in peace. When nothing could be further from the truth. The reason that Israel exists is plainly, simply, miraculous intervention by God. And he uses godly people and he uses ungodly people. Think what you will of him, Richard Milhouse Nixon, who did so much wrong, and I'm not talking about Watergate, so much wrong. he came to the aid of israel belatedly but he did see to it that military equipment military provisions were sent to israel during his presidency while israel was under siege from its dear peace-loving neighbors Israel has enjoyed a miraculous existence, the modern state of Israel. But it has been an existence which has been extremely challenging and trying throughout. And as I've stated before, Based on higher authority than mine, (laughs) based on the Bible, Israel will be the last free nation standing, not the United States of America. That's not wishful thinking on my part by any stretch of imagination, but it is according to the Bible. Adolf Hitler's architect, so-called, Albert Speer, was Hitler's architect in more than one respect. He built the Third Reich to a significant degree architecturally in terms of design and engineering, But he was an administrator, a manager. He was the presumptive heir apparent to Adolf himself. He was as close to Hitler as any of Hitler's henchmen. The likes of the infamous Martin Bormann, Heinrich Himmler, Adolf Eichmann, Joseph Goebbels, and so forth. Speer was an intimate of Hitler, a confidant of Hitler, closest of the close with Hitler, and was viewed as his presumptive successor even though there were others who had aspirations to succeed Hitler, he was recognized as the lead aspirant, as the one most likely to succeed. You know, like some something in a, high school where so-and-so is voted the most likely to succeed. Well, he was thought to be the most likely to succeed Hitler. But interestingly enough, during the Nuremberg trials, he managed to avoid the death sentence. He managed to avoid execution. Even while his deputy who took his orders... Directly from Speer was executed. Remarkable. Albert Speer was a clever guy, a subtle guy, an expert communicator who had an amazing ability for manipulation, for manipulating those around him. He reminds me so much of William Jefferson Clinton and Barack Hussein Obama in their communications, in his communications. How many times have you seen it in years gone by, in decades gone by, during State of the Union addresses and other major addresses Where Bill Clinton and Barack Obama are lauding some person or other. You know, some lowly person or other lauding them. But by doing so, in the very act of doing so, they actually manage to give greater credit to themselves than the person that they are seemingly praising. Am I the only one that's seen that? I mean, I've seen that over and over and over again. They manage to manipulate these scenes where they are lauding someone, and yet they manage to elevate themselves by so doing. Ronald Reagan was an expert communicator. For sure. And contrary to what some would say, he was a godly man, an honorable man, and frankly, a very intelligent and talented individual. But when he communicated in the State of the Union addresses and his other addresses, and he lauded this individual or that one, He genuinely honored them. It wasn't a matter of just some shallow, superficial, false, lying stagecraft. But dear old Bill Clinton, before he took over as president in 93... He poured over tapes of Reagan. He copied everything he could about Reagan. About Reagan's outward appearance of how he did things with his speaking, with his addresses, with his walking, with his receiving guests right down to the smallest detail. He imitated him. But not the honor, not the nobility, not the righteousness, the godliness, not the decency and the goodness. No. The exact, absolute opposite. But he was so clever and subtle. And you could say wise, worldly wise, to recognize that nobody did it better as far as expressing himself and dealing with these things than Reagan. So he incorporated that. And then Obama incorporated from Bill. They both manipulated masterfully. They lied continually, habitually, bald-facedly, and yet they managed over and over and over and over and over again to evade, to escape blame for what they were personally responsible for. I heard one Historian of sorts referred to Reagan when referring to Speer. He referred to Reagan and he called him the Teflon Man. He was, you know, repeating that slander that was made against Reagan, and he said, "And Spear was like that." So Spear was like Reagan. No, furthest thing from it. It was a slander of Reagan. But it's a truth about Albert Spear. It's a truth about Bill Clinton. It's a truth about Barack Hussein Obama. It's a truth about Hillary Rodham Clinton. That they have managed to evade, to escape, blame, condemnation, and recompense for their evils. Even though... They have been absolutely complicit in so much utter evil. Albert Speer had absolute knowledge of what was taking place in the death camps. He supplied the death camps. And he had command and control of more than a half million slave laborers, and yet he managed to con the chief prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials into sparing him on grounds that he didn't really know. He had some sort of vague general unease about things, but he did not have specific knowledge, understanding, and so on and so forth. But his deputy, who took all of his orders directly from him, was executed, no problem. Anyway, he was a masterful politician, the architect. Well, dear Adolf... Adolf, for all of his faults, not talking about his evil, <laughs> for all of his faults, he was, in point of fact, a poor leader. Poor leader, poor administrator, and so on and so forth. But, here this monstrous, leader of this monstrous military regime that was hell-bent on enslaving the world and annihilating the Jews and the Christians. You don't hear that, but... He engaged in planning for two years on making his escape. On making his escape! (laughs) From Nazi Germany. When the tide of the war began to change, instead of redoubling his efforts, instead of actually applying himself to the task of winning the war, he diverted all manner of attention and resources to enabling him to escape. Now he couldn't have all of his other leaders escaping. Yes a couple, but he couldn't have all of them escaping because if they all escaped then it would be too obvious. So most of them had to be di- had to die, had to be caught, had to be apprehended, tried, condemned, executed so forth. Most of them not Martin Borman, but they le- later covered their tracks with regard to that. But spent two years and great resources on facilitating his escape. And right up until he left. Covertly, He was spurring little boys on to give their lives, to sacrifice their lives for him. Towards the end of the war, he was blaming the defeat of the Nazi Reich on the German people. He was saying they deserved to be destroyed. It was their fault that they betrayed him, that they, this, that, and the other thing. His Third Reich was calling for 10-year-old boys to be forced into the Hitler Youth. For the duration of his hellish reign of terror, the boys of Germany were compelled to be in the Hitler Youth. It had started off voluntarily. They seduced them in. But when they succeeded in only getting, you know, 97% or so of them in, they made it compulsory. They all had to be in it. And any parents who attempted to keep their children out were arrested, were tortured, were sent to death camps. And the so-called Hitler youth were turned into, were indoctrinated into, were brainwashed into, and trained into becoming Ruthless killers. The same thing as what the Islamist terrorist regimes have done with their youth, starting much younger, starting with preschool children, including girls. In dear old Palestine, in the Palestinian territories. They indoctrinate their youngest children to murder Jews and that it is their highest calling to do that. The same thing is true in Kim Jong-un's vicious, ruthless North Korean regime. Indoctrinating children as young as two years of age to betray their parents, to search for any evidence of a black book, of a Bible, and to report it. The same thing that took place in Stalin's monstrous regime, in which he murdered outright more than double what Hitler did. But as tremendously horrible, as all of those numbers are, and that is the case. Nonetheless, it pales in comparison with the aspirations of some modern-day leaders. I've referred to it before. Prince Philip is on record as stating, Prince Philip of England, of Great Britain, 90-something years of age now, is on record stating that when he dies, he wants to come back, you know, be reincarnated, come back to Earth as a killer virus and wipe out billions of people. All for the good of mankind, of course. You know, all in a good cause. And here in bare weeks now, we're going to have a... Great event, a wedding there in London. Something to look forward to. Prince Harry is very close to dear patriarch Prince Philip. Very close, near and dear, closest of buddies, of pals, of friends. Which says something. And Megan is bent on being a leader of leftist proportions. We have much to look forward to in this world. Much bad to look forward to. Much destruction to look forward to, unfortunately. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.